name is Austin. Uh, I'm on the team here at the church. I just want to say welcome. Isn't it an amazing thing to live in Southern California in November? The rest of the world is freezing and getting out their parkas, and we are going to the beach, and we are surfing, and we are trying to stay cool. It's, a, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So if you're on site with us or if you're online, uh, we're simply a church that is committed to a Los Angeles in which every single person has experienced the life-changing power of the gospel. And so every single Sunday, we want to make it our point to make a really, really big deal of Jesus, to proclaim the good news of who he is and what he is doing. And so it's one of our goals to, to know Jesus better, that week in and week out, we'd, we'd grow in faith, more of our trust, more of our allegiance, more of our hope would be put in Jesus. And, and as we do that, we find ourselves actually being shaped more and more into his image. We find ourselves being shaped into the image of disciples that are pursuing Jesus. And if you're here this morning, uh, there's, there's very few people, if anybody, that I think embodies this better. This idea of being constantly committed to Los Angeles, to helping us know Jesus, grow in faith, and go serve the world. They set an incredible example. It's Trevor and his family. Um, and so if you've seen them embody this and they've made an impact on your life, can you just show them some honor for, for leading this church, embodying it so well? Um, if they've even made a, you know, a, a fraction of the indent on your life, they've made on mine, it's significant. And some of you are like, okay, is that the introduction for Trevor to come up and teach? And I'd say, no, you're stuck with me this morning. Uh, but I'll make it quick uh, because I know it's warm outside, and uh, we'll hop into this. Uh, Trevor mentioned this a minute ago, but we are currently in a, in a Minor Prophets series. And it's, it's a timely moment to be in the Minor Prophets series. As we lean into what these ancient scriptures were speaking, we note that all of these Minor Prophets, in one way, shape, or form, were pointing towards the person of Jesus. And so this fall, as, as we lean into these scriptures and we catch hints of this person of Jesus in the voice of the prophets, it's going to lead us right into Advent, in which we remember the actual coming of Jesus into this world, and that will propel us back again into the Gospel of John in the winter and into the spring. And so this particular morning, where it's not really a mini-series, but it's a little bit of a mini-series, uh, between Haggai and Zechariah, because they were contemporaries. And what we found last week is that uh, Haggai was making a really big deal about rebuilding the temple. If you build it, he will come. If we would just be faithful to build the temple, God will fill it with his presence. That was Haggai's primary message. And Zechariah, who was a contemporary of Haggai and speaking to the same group of people, says, yes, that is true. And also, once the temple is built and God comes back and he begins to dwell with his people, again, he's going to rebuild the city and everything around it. And so this morning, we will be in the, the book of Zechariah. We'll be hopping around quite a bit. There's 14 chapters in it. Uh, we won't be able to get into, into significant depth in every single portion, but we'll be hopping around the book of Zechariah. And as we look at the themes of Zechariah, I think there's four things that Zechariah would want us to see in his writings and that I think apply to us today. Uh, the first is this, God always relents 
of his anger. God always relents of his anger. Secondly, God always rebuilds cities. God is committed to cities and to them being rebuilt. Third, God always rewards his people with a redeemer. And finally, we can always return to the Lord. God always relents of his anger, always rebuilds cities, always rewards us with a redeemer, and we can always return to the Lord. And so as, as we hop in, I, I just want to start with this. There are some things in life you cannot start angry at, you can then become angry at, but you cannot stay angry at. Again, there are some things in life you, you can't start angry at them. You can become angry at them, but you can't stay angry with them. And one of them is just the sweet, innocent sight of a baby. Man, you see a baby sleeping, and there are just very few things that are sweeter than that. You think, oh, man, there's nothing this baby could do that would ever make me angry. You spend about, you know, two or three hours with it, and you think, ah, they got a couple things going on that are, that are testing my patience. I can't wait for this baby to go to sleep, and that baby goes to sleep. You think, oh, man, that is just the sweetest thing. I could never stay angry at that baby. The second thing is a dog, which for those of us that haven't made it onto to kid phase, dogs are a bit the same way. You get a puppy, and puppies are just the most incredible thing, especially when you see them on Instagram. You're like, I need a puppy in my life. And then you get a puppy, and you start thinking, who wants a puppy in their life? I've got one. I've got one that I'm giving away. Because, man, as they begin to chew on the leash, you know, use the restroom in your house, and completely disregard what you're saying, you're like, okay, we got to figure something out here. So they, you tire them out. They fall asleep, you think, oh, man, I can never stay angry at this dog. The last one I got for you is the ocean. You go to the ocean to go surfing. If you're like me, I'm from Oklahoma. I love to give it my best shot to surf. You get there early. You see the peaceful calm of the ocean, and you think, man, this thing is incredible. I can't wait to get this wetsuit on, get my surfboard out there, start paddling out. And then you're out there, and you realize, I've made a terrible, terrible mistake this ocean is vicious, and it's tough, and I wish I could just get out. And then you get out, you get some coffee in your system, maybe a boardwalk donut, look back at the ocean. Man, that ocean's incredible, isn't it? There are some things you don't start angry with, you can become angry with, but you can't stay angry with. And the good news is this. In our life, God does not start out angry with us, and he does not stay angry with us. Now, that statement alone, for some of you, you think, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. The only God I know is a God that is angry all of the time. He's the grouch up in heaven that is nothing but looking to do me harm, and he's a bit malevolent. If that is you, you need to hear these words, that God did not start out angry with you, and he does not want to stay angry with you. Some of you are in a different camp, and you think, you, you obviously don't know my life. There's no way God could ever be angry with me. I don't do anything wrong. When God sees me, it's nothing but rainbows and unicorns. And if that's you, you need to hear that there are some things that you do that make God angry. But the good news is, is he doesn't intend to stay angry with us. This is point number one. God always relents of his anger. And Zechariah wants Israel to know this. When Zechariah is writing, Israel, they're in exile. 
Exile is a bit like being in timeout, which we'll talk about in a minute. But they have a home, they have a land, and they have been thrust out of the land, and they are craving to come back to Jerusalem, craving to come back to the land of Israel. And we read this in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12. Zechariah is kind of peering in on this conversation between an angel and the Lord. And it says, Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem? How long will you withhold mercy from the towns of Judah? It's an interesting statement for the angel to make because it gives us a glimpse that the angel recognizes that this is a part of God's character. That in seasons he does withhold mercy just a bit, but the angel knows that this doesn't last forever. And so he begins to ask the Lord, how long? How long until you return to goodness and to kindness? He goes on to say, you've been withholding this mercy and this anger for 70 years. Verse 13, the Lord begins to speak back to the angel. It says, so the Lord spoke kind. And comforting words to the angel who talked with him. These words, mercy, kindness, and comfort. The idea of, of mercy is that God desires to show his people affection. When the angel looks back over the scope of human history and sees God's dealings with his people, he is so accustomed and he is so used to God showing affection and compassion to his people, that to see God angry is not out of step with his character, but the angel is anxious for God to return to his mercy, to his affection, to his compassion. And he goes on to say, the Lord spoke kind and comforting words. That, that word kind is this word tov. And, and I love the full-bodied meaning of the word tov. It's this idea of good, exceedingly merry, wonderfully happy. Uh, later on, uh, the interpreters will interpret Tov as prosperity and abundance. In other words, when the Lord begins to speak to the angel, it's not just kind words. They are merry and happy words that are going to be good news for the people. And they're comforting words. In other words, the, the disposition of God is, is changing just a bit. And verse 14 says, Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what I heard the Lord Almighty say. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. And I'm very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little bit angry. Interesting for us to hear that God can, in fact, be angry. And this angel says that God told him, I was only a little angry. But those that were enacting punishment, they took it too far. Um, I remember being young and uh, my parents trying to train me up to be a responsible adult and a good friend. And uh, man, my Mama Jane, my mom, she is incredibly patient with her kids and with her nephews. And I even watch her now. I think, man, you've got a lot of patience with your nephews. I'm glad you had that patience with me. Because she will instruct my nephews over and over again, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But by 2 or 3 p.m., it is time out for those nephews. By 2 or 3 p.m., it was time out for me. But what I knew about time out was I had earned it. 
when I went into timeout, I had deserved it because I was intentionally and consistently doing what my parents had not asked me to do. But this is what I knew about timeout, is I wasn't going to stay in timeout forever. At some point, my parents are going to come get me, typically just two or three minutes, which felt like two or three hours as a kid. And by the end of the day, they were tucking me in. They were singing me songs. They were making sure I was comfortable before they retired to their room. In other words, when Zechariah is talking to the people, he wants them to know you're experiencing God's anger right now. You're in exile and you're away from the land, but you need to know Israel. God always relents of his anger. His final word is always kindness and goodness, mercy, affection, and compassion. I think for some of us this morning, that's a good thing to hear. Some of us may feel like God is angry with us, or we're under his judgment, or God has withdrawn himself from us. And you need to hear this morning what Zechariah said to Israel, is that God always relents of his anger. And when he thinks of you and begins to speak about you and your future, it's kindness, it's goodness, It's compassion and it's affection for you. In other words, God always relents of his anger. This is the second thing we find in the book of Zechariah, is that God always rebuilds cities. This is chapter 1, verse 17. Proclaim further. This is the angel still speaking. This is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with tov. They will overflow with goodness. They will overflow with abundance. The NIV translates it. They will overflow with prosperity. And the Lord again will comfort Zion. The Lord again will choose Jerusalem. It is a good thing that we don't have to earn the goodness of God. We don't have to earn the affection or the compassion or the kindness of God, but God chooses us as the recipients of his goodness. Uh, Chapter 8, verses 4 through 5 and 12 through 14 begin to describe what this prosperity, this overflowing prosperity is going to look like, what this comfort and what this being the recipient of goodness is going to look like. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is chapter 8 beginning in verse 4. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. It is so so important to remember in this moment as we read this that the audience that is hearing this is in a space far away from the land. And their their biggest heart's desire is that they would return, that they would get to go back to Jerusalem. And so for them to hear the words that your, your men and women will become old and ripe of age in the land is incredible news. The idea that their sons and daughters will be raised back in the land is incredible news for them. He continues, this is chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. He says, the seed will grow well. That well is the word shalom. It's this idea that the seeds that you plant in the ground will grow in quality 
and in quantity. They will be full and they will be robust. When you look at your field, it's going to be the harvest that you've dreamed of. The seed will grow well. The vine will yield its fruit. The ground will produce its crops and the heavens will drop their dew. And all of this I will give to you as an inheritance. And once again, you will be a blessing. Again, it's so important as we read this text to remember that we are, we are reading and looking into an agricultural society. For most of them, they're planting seeds. They're raising crops. They need the rain from heaven in order to survive, in order to have overflow, in order to be a blessing to the nations. For some of us, a passage like that might say, and your income will increase. Your investments will do well. You'll be able to hire more employees. Everything you put your hand to will grow. That's what God is telling Jerusalem here. And this is the final part, verse 14. Just as I had determined to bring disaster on you, speaking to Israel, and I showed you no pity when your ancestors angered me, watch this, now I've chosen. Now I've set my heart towards. Now I have determined to do good again to you. I have to admit, uh, one of the most terrifying moments for me as somebody that lives in Oklahoma is going back to Oklahoma for seven to 10 days. That's where I spend most of my vacation time. I get to see my parents, brother and sister, nephews. It's an absolutely incredible time. When you're back in mom and dad's house, not a worry in the world. But sometimes the scary part is coming back to Southern California. There's nothing a bit more terrifying than coming back after 10 days, walking up on your car and thinking, I hope it's still there. <laughs> Getting in your car, about to turn the ignition, I hope that it starts. Hopefully it starts. And then walking into your house. I do my best when I leave my house for a trip to give it a really, really good cleaning. But after 10 days, when I come back home, I'm just thinking, I hope I'm not finding people. I shouldn't say people. I should say uh, rodents. I'm hoping I'm not finding rodents living here rent-free. In other words, when things are left to their own, a car, a house, a piece of musical equipment, there are moments when we return to it, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to, and we have to work on our car. We come back to our house, it doesn't smell the way it did when we left it. We have to work on getting the windows open and getting some fresh air inside. That, that musical equipment has become out of tune, and now we have to retune it. In other words, there, there's a part of life in which when things have been abandoned or vacated for a while, there's rebuilding that needs to happen. And Zechariah wants God's people to know this. You've been away from the land for a long time. You've been away for 70 years. When you return, the temple, the land, and your homes will not be the way they were when you left them. But Israel, take comfort. I'm going to rebuild all of these things. A rebuilt city will be your inheritance. Uh, this is a a brief Tim Keller quote, and, and, and Tim's talking about cities, and, and Tim's talking about, I should call him Dr. Keller. Uh, Dr. Keller is talking about how much God loves 
cities. And he doesn't, he doesn't mince words. There's some, some dark sides to cities, etc. But he does note this when he talks about the way Psalms 107 talks about the city. He says, the assumption behind the psalm is that the city is a place where human life ought to thrive. Is it, a, is it, it is a positive social form. In other words, the city plays a pivotal role in the arc of redemptive history. It's one of the reasons why I love this church is nestled inside of a massive metropolitan city. That as we seek the good of the city, we are participating with God in the redemption of all things. Which just leads me to a moment about your work. You know, when we come here to worship, to read from the scriptures, to confess, to take communion, there is something very powerful about that. And one of the hopes of all of this is that you would be thrust back out into your world and into your work to help redeem the city through the things that you do on a regular basis. As a doctor, as an educator, as a nurse, as an artist, as a salesperson, as a business owner and a business employee, the dream for God is that when we go back into our work, everything that we put our hand to would be in an effort to rebuild this great city. As a church, it's one of the reasons why I love the fact that we do Serve Day. We've been doing Serve Day for a couple of years now. And it's our dream as a church that as we have these ongoing partners that we're investing into, that our investment into them and then their investment into others would slowly over the years rebuild the city. It's one of the hopes of this church is that our ongoing partners would be so, so thankful when we have a serve day because they recognize they are going to be well-equipped for the work ahead of them. Not only do we want to send our people as individuals out into their workspaces to help redeem and rebuild this city alongside the Lord as a church collectively in things like Serve Day, we want to continue to partner with our ongoing partners for the rebuilding of this great city. In other words, your work matters to God. And it plays a role in the redemptive art of what God is doing. This is the third thing. God always rewards his people with the Redeemer. This is a, a popular Christmas passage coming from Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, look, behold, your king comes to you, righteous, victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You think about Israel hearing these words, and this is so, so refreshing to them. Because they know what it's like to have horses and chariots and war machines from other countries stroll through the streets of Israel and Jerusalem to take their people captive. And so when they hear this word that a king is coming, righteous and victorious and not on a war horse and not in a chariot and not in a war machine, but 
humble, and lowly. You can imagine for Israel, these words are so refreshing to their soul. It reminds me of uh, my siblings and I growing up. We were just, gosh, we were at it all of the time growing up. And then one day we just kind of woke up and said, oh, you're, you're all right. You're kind of cool. Um, but early on, we were just, we were at it nonstop with each other. And it, the biggest fights we would get in, there was no us negotiating our differences out. There was no amount of a letter my parents had written that while they were away at work, hey, be nice and be kind to each other. Once we were alone, all bets were off, pillow fights, anger, tears, fighting, the entire deal. What we needed as kids more than anything is we needed the physical presence of mom and dad to re-enter the house and restore order, restore peace, and put everything to rights. When Zechariah is writing to a community in exile and talking about the future that God was going to build, he notes that this isn't just kind of going to happen, but God is going to send a person to be with you physically to bring peace, to bring order and put everything to rights. For Zechariah, it was this long-awaited-for Messiah. And so today, as, as we sit in a season just about a week and a half away from Advent, we begin to carve out space in our hearts to say, Lord, you've come once, and now we're very expectant, and we anticipate your return again that you came once to put things to right and you will come again to finish the job, to bring order, to bring justice, to put everything that is out of place back in its proper place. Advent, as we come up on it here in just about two weeks, reminds us that Jesus is in fact coming again and so we begin to carve out space in our hearts for that. And this is the final thing I think Zechariah would want to tell us. First, God always relents of his anger. Secondly, God always rebuilds cities, and we get to partner with him in that. Third, God always rewards us with a redeemer that will come and be gentle and kind with us and, and put things back in its proper place. And this is the final piece, is that we can always return to the Lord. This is the very beginning of Zechariah. And it's the mantra and the theme and the primary point of the entire book. This is Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me. Come back, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. Chapter 8, verse 3 says it like this. I will return to Zion, says the Lord, and I will dwell in Jerusalem. For a people in exile, this is precisely what they wanted to hear. That the door wasn't closed for them to return to the Lord. That God had not given up on them and that he would in fact return to them. This brings me to my final timeout moment if you will, as a kid, uh, my mom, after you know, hours of gently instructing me to quit that, stop that, use your words, et cetera, me consistently rebelling, she put me in timeout. 
now you go in timeout, and this is what she'd say. She'd say, you sit there till I come back for you. And I just thought, oh, man, I could be here for years. But I knew that when I went to timeout, I needed to wait until my mom would come back to get me out of timeout. And at some point, it's amazing when a kid goes on timeout. They go to the corner, and it's like an invisible fence gets set up around them. Like, they actually won't leave timeout. It's a pretty incredible social thing. Anyway, so I'd be in my, my timeout corner sitting there, very disturbed that my mom had, in fact, done this. And at some point, my mom would come back into view. She'd come out of the kitchen, and my mom would begin to approach me. And as my mom would begin to approach me, my heart would begin to be filled with two things. One, absolute joy that she had returned, and I was about to be out of timeout. And two, a sense that when she came back, I was going to need to officially and verbally own up to everything that I had done wrong to get me in that position in the first place. And so my mom would turn the corner and she would begin to come my way. My heart would start to pound. I'd become joyful. I'm going to get out of, out of time out. And she'd come to me and say, now what do you have to say? I'd have a long list of things that I need to say. Sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I shouldn't have done this. And after my, my repentance, my apology, my mom would say, well, come on back inside. I'd go back in the kitchen, get in the chair, start watching cartoons again and hanging out with the family. Zechariah wants Israel to know there, there's a similar moment in history happening with Israel at this time. That God is ready to bring them back to the land and God is approaching and saying, if you'll now return to me, you don't have to come running out of timeout. You don't have to come find me. My first move is towards you. And now if you'll return to me, I'll return to you. And we'll get on with Tov. Goodness, kindness, compassion, affection. And so I think it's helpful for us here this morning to recognize that God is making a move towards us that he desires that we would return to him. And for some of us, we've been, we've been living in sin for a long time. We know the Lord has been asking us of things that we've been rejecting or moving against for a long time. And so every morning when we come to the table of communion, it's our opportunity to return to the Lord. It's in these elements that we remember that God has made his first move towards us. And now it's always our great joy and our opportunity to say, Lord, I'm sorry my attitude has been just a bummer. I'm sorry that I've treated my, my family, my spouse, my kids, my mom and dad the way that I have. Lord, I'm sorry that I have withheld goodness from my neighbors and from strangers. When we come to the table of communion, it's our opportunity to return to the Lord. And so this morning, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to come to the table. And so if you have the elements with you, we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. Let's take the bread together.
And in the same way he took the cup, he poured it out. This is my blood poured out for you. For as long as you gather, eat this bread, drink this cup, and remember that you can always return to me. You can always repent. You can always say, Lord, I'm sorry. Let's take the cup together. worship. Let's, let's close in prayer. Lord, we, um, we pause for a moment just to recognize that you never stay angry with us forever, but that you always relent. You always invite us to, to return and to rebuild the city with you. And so we're honored this morning, God, that we get to partner with you. Lord, we're thankful that you don't leave us alone to do that. But you've sent Jesus historically, and now as we get closer to Advent, we anticipate Jesus returning again. And so, God, we return to you this morning. As this morning we've worshiped you and confessed our sins and heard from your scriptures and taken communion. Lord, we ask you that you would, in fact, give us that really kind of tangible sense that you've received us back with hope, with goodness and kindness and compassion. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.